Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before. Well, not all day. It was probably like three hours ago. We got here around like twelve or one. Yeah. So you had a late start today. Would you typically usually, you know, be in a little bit earlier? I think it depends. If we're working on like something in particular, then I would say we'd be here by like ten or eleven. If there's, if it's just kind of like uh, creative flow, then you kind of just mosey on in when you get in the vibe of the day. You just kind of let it. Um, roll in so afternoon sessions can be nice on free-flowing days yeah typically we'll probably get through our emails and social media and sort of catch-ups from our australian team and things like that in the morning and then usually we're finished by yeah, 11 or midday doing that we'll have a quick bite to eat and then head to the studio work on the creative side yeah that's funny actually because you must be on completely different time schedules now to the rest of the team <laughs> yeah well it's half our teams here <laughs> and half our teams in australia but um they seem to run really well in tandem so it seems to flow really easily between management and believe like distribution and also our pr teams and also our uh, booking agents and stuff like that promoters they seem to work, but yeah, there is a little bit of a delay sometimes between our Australian team, our American and, and European, but it's just trying to stay on top of it. I guess the other side of it too, there would be you pretty much now have people working on tourist stuff 24 hours a day with you all being in different time zones. Yeah, essentially it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the band members at the moment, um, one of the guys is, uh, like Thorne, is in Bali and currently locked down in Bali. And then Jai is currently like somewhere in the south, what, like France or Italy? Or I think he's in France at the moment. On a bit of a holiday. Yeah, he's um, on holiday. But Thorne, it's great because we can go to sleep and Thorne be working on some idea of some sort and then we'll wake up in the morning with a with an email from him with something new. Creative. Something yeah. creative, yeah. 
like the elves and the shoemaker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. You uh, you do a bit of modeling as well, right? A little bit, yeah. Jai does the most. He's kind of done a bit of runway stuff um, for some really cool brands. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of us have done like a little bit, some tour related, um, some not. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to just delve into at times it's quite um a nice experience but definitely more captivated by the the creation of music um and the performance of music whereas i think modeling is kind of um somebody molds you to be what they want you to be um so you're kind of uh it's a very different i guess type of performance you i guess you're acting in a sense so um, it's not an expression of yourself so much as like you're kind of fitting the mold of somebody else and what they need. Um, so I guess it takes different kind of personality to uh, to do that. Yeah. But yeah, the stuff I guess we've done with the band is mostly been sort of brand partnership and campaign type things, which are normally sort of in tandem with either like a release or a brand that is either into the music or even crosses over which we like doing. It's always nice to, to collaborate with other brands or other companies, even shoes or clothing or even like we had this, what was it, Neurophone in Australia? They were doing these new tailor-made headphones for like musicians that would create, they'd scan your ears and then make you experience what you th- your ears would hear. And it, it was crazy, but yeah, it's, mm. you, you never really know who you're going to meet, but it's nice to do collaborations. Mm. Can you learn anything about your own creativity through being a part of someone else's in that way and kind of being molded by someone else's creativity? Definitely. Collaboration is really one of the most important things in creativity. Teamwork and like, I guess, if you're living in an echo chamber and only... Um, hearing your own ideas and telling yourself that those ideas are good with no criticism, um, no external input, then you can get very lost and may end up making something that is perhaps not as good as you thought it was. Whereas when you collaborate with people, you get like constructive feedback. You get um, also like sometimes it can actually make you like the music more. Like if you're someone who doubts yourself a lot, and you work with other people, they encourage you and help you see the best in your ideas. Um, but they also can teach you what can be improved. Um, so yeah, I think collaborating, I mean, that's a big thing for us um, throughout the entirety of this project is having um, collaboration as part of the process so that everything that kind of gets through to an end result has been vetted by multiple people and yeah i guess that group dynamic is what gives a project um an identity like a a band um is only a band with all the members involved so yeah i think collaboration is really key to for us as a band it's key to like getting an end result um in any project i would say has the way that you view collaboration and the way that you utilize it evolved in any way? Yeah, yes and no. I think we've always kind of been semi-open to having um, collaborations through Torah from like the early days. 
um, bringing on other friends, other feature vocalists and that sort of stuff. And it's kind of been a recurring theme throughout the, the albums and the future works that come out of Torah. But maybe we've just, I guess, streamlined it and gotten better at, <laughs> I guess, remaining open to the influence of the collaboration, whether it's a singer or a producer or instrumentalist. I Even just like leaving space for each other to like, yeah, to take on something like when you're writing a part, sometimes it's easy to get carried away with writing other parts to complement it and you can get like on a roll. Um, but then sometimes those ideas end up like crowding out somebody else's ability to write something because there's no room for their imagination to thrive if it's too filled up already. So I guess over time we've learned to leave each other more room for those ideas to actually come through. Um, I guess that's the biggest thing I've learned. Um, and then collaborating with other artists, I guess a similar thing, like when sending over ideas to people, like trying not to over fill them before you kind of get the influence of somebody else because um, it's like a it, you can rebound back and forth um, and each idea can inspire a new idea so the if you're going to collaborate with someone then it's important to give them freedom to like express whatever comes and not like censor themselves before they have even like expressed <laughs> um so yeah, I think that's something that has evolved for us is like giving each other a bit more space to move in the creative process. How do you know how much space to leave when you don't know what the full song looks like yet? Yeah, that's the hard that's the hard <laughs> question. <laughs> you kind of just have to you just have to like hold in your mind like where you think this track's going to go to. One of the tracks that is not out yet, but on the on the album we came across that was like leaving it bare kind of on purpose so that when we did send it off for them to work on, we didn't have already like a predisposed idea of where we thought or where they should take it. It's kind of just leave it like a skeleton, but you kind of have to hold yourself back. Like what Joe was saying, you have to do that. Like the intention has to be set that someone else is going to put their flavoring on it. So yeah, it's. I don't know if there's ever like the perfect answer to that. It's just more that you have to leave it open, and when it comes back, whatever they've might have contributed, you have to kind of listen to it with an open, an open ear, um, open mind, and just maybe don't assume that what you had in your head was the final product, and then the feedback just goes around, and you work out okay what what did they add what is working what isn't working and then you kind of workshop it between whoever's working on the collaboration and try to reach the end goal where everyone's kind of happy um with what they've contributed and what they've brought to the table how did that function in the case of something like when will i learn was the end goal pretty solidified from early on in that because it's got quite a simplistic kind of heart to it yeah i think when will i learn um was was just basically like a chord progression and a vocal loop and it stayed that way for quite some time um, and then I think when it came to kind of producing up the record like because there was a bunch of ideas that had been kind of written in bare form kind of a stripped format beforehand um, but when we eventually got in the studio and like to polish things up and work on them more 
I don't know, we just had access to more instruments and like a bunch of nice synths and kind of just like took the intellectual property, like took the the actual like ideas and then like fed them through <laughs> new machines and like, um, yeah, I think it was a really like a, a bit of a layering process and the main challenge with that song, I think, was just actually trying to find um, the right dynamics between each section, making sure that because it's like a repetitive chord progression and a repetitive vocal loop, um, trying to make it so that each section or each time it looped, there was like a new dynamic that came in, whether it was like it got suddenly really dry and stripped or if it like slowly evolved and got thicker and thicker throughout the section, like there just needed to be this evolution because um, it was such a circular, uh, simple idea. Um, so in, yeah, in the collaborative process, I guess that's where things um, kind of got a bit more fleshed out and the dynamics really started to set in. It like reached its final form. Did it feel like quite a, quite a slow and careful process kind of expanding out those dynamics and figuring it out? To be honest, I think it happened quite quickly. It was like a really flowing process. Sometimes ideas like when the music feels right it just like you put it into different sounds and like it just gets you on a roll I don't know um sometimes it's actually really nice when the the kind of idea itself is already written and you're just playing around with like the actual sounds of those notes and yeah I think in this case it was something that came together in like an afternoon or maybe like two days we sort of just played around and maybe like a couple of months later we came back to it and like adjusted a couple mm. of things but it was quite it was quite natural and flowing it wasn't a tedious process and it wasn't even really careful it was like we just kind of flowed naturally and then when we came back to it we were like oh that actually kind of works so let's just leave it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean both of those first two singles that you put out when I learn and why won't you wait you know their questions was that a reflection of the headspace you were in when you were writing this record? Were you in quite a questioning, introspective headspace? Mm. Yeah, I think that's like a big part of the the process. Those two songs were like some of the earlier songs in the album, like in terms of what was written, um, like when things were written. Uh, those were, I guess, they're some of the older ideas of like of all of them mm. um so yeah i think the questioning the confusion the like the searching for something um is a feeling that a lot of people went through during this time like leading into the pandemic and then through the pandemic now here we are obviously a little further down the track um but those songs were definitely written in that kind of um, period of uncertainty. Yeah, why um, won't you wait? Is was just prior to like the initial lockdown, right? Mm. We were recording that in Sydney. It was like almost like we pre all the like Corona and lockdown and stuff, but it became so relevant once it um once everyone did lockdown when when we finished writing it here in the studio. Mm. It was crazy how it sort of came fully around and still stayed so relevant to the time. And I think that's sometimes it's as weird as it sounds. I think sometimes the things you write can actually exist um, out of time, outside of time. Like you can write something and you think that 
you're not really sure what you're writing or why it makes sense. And then later on, it makes perfect sense. And so you almost like, <laughs> I wouldn't say manifest, but like, I think the, the songwriting process is, is almost like part of <laughs> what like sets up your, like you draw influence from your, your past, but there's an argument for drawing influence from your future as well. Um, so it's quite a weird thing. Um, but yeah, those songs definitely came from a, like a, a year of growth. I think the whole album, there was a lot of questioning in that year. And the, I guess the overarching theme is acceptance. So like the name, a force majeure, um, means like a superior force. And it's, it's kind of this idea that like you can try and plan and control everything, um, but at the end of the day, there's there's bigger uh, forces at play that can just, in the blink of an eye, completely change everything. So you, you need to learn, become accepting of the, the things that come your way. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of people have probably learned during this, this last couple of years. So. Do you feel like it's changed your day-to-day headspace as a result of accepting that and coming to that realization? Definitely. Yeah, for me personally, um, I think that whole year was, um, it felt like that was kind of what I needed to learn at this point in my life. Um, And yeah, to be honest, I feel very at peace um, having recognized that and understood it. And I think like the process of writing the album really was like a therapeutic thing for me, like uh, personal growth. Uh, but I think also reflecting on the the work that's still got to be done on a global scale. Yeah, the process of writing that was really uh, important to the personal headspace that I'm in now. Per- yeah, And I think that the other guys probably feel... Um, yeah, definitely. I think that year was crazy. Like we had all our shows booked and cancelled. And then we found this space where we're sitting right here in Amsterdam where we could f- finish and write the album. Yeah, I think it gave us all time to sort of stop for a second um, and focus in on what we needed to get done. Mm. Um, and we were lucky enough that we could all find a place together and actually focus in on this music. It would have been crazy if we uh, hadn't had the space. We may or may not have ended back in Australia, but... I think we were very fortunate to be able to have a space that we could come together and, and focus our energy on, on finishing this album. So, yeah, it was as on a personal level and on a business level, it was, it was incredible, actually. And now we, you know, we have to <laughs> keep the energy up and, and keep promoting and hopefully get back out on the road and play some shows. But uh, I guess we'll see. Was that part of the reason you moved across here originally? to kind of do some European shows. Yeah, that yeah, was, was one of the main goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically we've been like coming back and forth since 2015 and each time we came, it's like usually like two or three years in between. And so you kind of end up, I don't know, you, you don't, you, it's hard to build up something fully when you're not consistent with it. So we thought, okay, well, we, we've built up a bit of an audience in Europe Um and we want to be closer to America. Um, so we, yeah, we had a whole year or 18 months of pl- uh, touring planned. Um, and that's why, yeah, we came to be based in Amsterdam was so that we could be central. 
um, and accessible. Like all, all of the festivals and shows that we were going to play would be like within reach, which obviously makes it a bit more economically feasible um, and energetically. We don't have to like fly 24 hours every time um, with all this gear and uh, stuff like that. So uh, we based ourselves here and then obviously massive change to the plan that resulted in a force majeure. So all is well that ends well, right? A pretty huge silver lining. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, when you make such a big decision in your life to move halfway across the world, does that give you a certain energy creatively? Does that feed into the process in any way in your creative spirit? I think it did. I think it um, it definitely alleviated a lot of sort of uh, maybe distractions and stuff we had back at home. Gave us this freedom of... of like a semi of, of a new start, I guess, in a sense, especially having this studio and in this space with all our equipment uh, and instruments and everything and kind of treating it in a different way. Previously, a lot of our stuff had been written at home, in bedrooms, lounge, lounge rooms, in shorter periods of time, sort of here and there and very uh, less organized. Less, We never really had a, a sort of professional space for us to come to. So... It was the first time, especially this time, for, to have that sort of concentration. And maybe, yeah, a new new city, a new culture, new language, uh, being kind of pulled out of your depth a little bit. Um, we had toured through Europe quite a lot, but we would always have sort of home on the horizon going back to. So, yeah, maybe it was a little bit of a shake in terms of us to really dig in and be like, this is real, this is why we're here. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to get the most out of this? You've recorded in Amsterdam before, right? Before you did this record? No, um, no, we did write a song called Amsterdam, and we do have like a bit of a connection with Amsterdam. Um, my ex was Dutch, um, and I met her like what six years ago, Paradiso. Yeah, I was with her for a long time, so kind of kept coming back and forth and there were times where like we I think I've been in um, a few studios around Amsterdam and spent some time here um, but not like fully as a band set up um, recording mm. before we did do um, a couple of months in Berlin in 2019 but yeah we've never had like a proper recording session in Amsterdam until 2020 yeah how did you feel about moving here have you had such a special connection to it already a very personal connection to it. I think it was really something that we'd spoken about doing for a long time was coming to Europe and basing ourselves here. So it was very exciting, just the idea of being a bit more central and um, just like within reach of so many like capital cities and cultural hubs. Yeah, I guess for me it was definitely very exciting because I had um, already a bit of a base here and like already built up a bit of a network. So it was kind of like moving to my second home. Um, and I think for yeah the boys as well, like we've been through Europe many times and this city always resonated with us. We were tossing up between here and Berlin at the time when we were moving, but logistically and practically it just worked out. Amsterdam was better off, so... In retrospect, it still feels like it was the right move because um, everything kind of worked out. And yeah, it's it's such a beautiful city. Like even during coronavirus, you're still riding around on your bike. You still feel somewhat free and able to do what you need to do. 
and I, I don't know, even just the fact of like where I am at the moment is about a 40 minute bike ride from the studio. So then your exercise is kind of built into your day. Whereas in some cities you'd be forced to like either get an Uber or public transport. So there's something special about being in like a bike city um, and kind of getting around on your own means. But yeah, I don't know what, what you were excited about getting over here, Sean, until the... <laughs> Do everything locked down. <laughs> but uh, no, it's right. Like I, I've been loving the city, um, been loving Amsterdam. There's, it's, it's, there's something amazing about being able to ride everywhere. I know it sounds so typical for someone living in, in Amsterdam, but it's, it is amazing. It's, I think it's one of the things that saved us in through the whole lockdown was that when you were coming to the studio you would have to ride yeah, at least half an hour or something like that each way. So you were doing at least an hour of bike riding each day that you were going to the studio. And it just made it that much more bearable to then either be at the studio or back in your house with very limited outdoor sort of activities or hangs or even when there was curfews and stuff. So yeah, that could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it's been a challenging year, but it's it's really come come around full circle. So it has... It, in the end, it was an, it's been an amazing experience. There's maybe something quite good about cycling too, where when you're doing that, you're very in your own head and you're kind of going down the rabbit holes of thought patterns, which I imagine could be a good thing before you're going into a creative environment maybe. Yeah, it can be. Sometimes it's either listening to demos um, that we've been working on the day before, either on the way home, on the way there, or listening to a new release from a band that you like or a pod- podcast even. And or even just like you're saying, just no no distraction, just a pure sort of like thought process of whatever you might be going through. But it is it is a really nice time. There's something about like when you're in like when you're riding a bike, your your mind kind of detaches in a sense, like you not like full autopilot, but it kind of allows you to to yeah to like comfortably go into a thought. It's a great time for I know Joe listens to a lot of podcasts when he's to and from in the studio and it's just a great little time for yourself in a way that's the beautiful thing about podcasting now is that you can kind of fit these little moments that would have been perhaps wasted to some degree in the past and you can make them productive and kind of add something else into your life on a daily level yeah absolutely then you kind of arrive here at the studio with then you're excited to sit down and and sort of jump into whatever the job that is at hand because you've kind of feel fulfilled already. You've had that little half an hour, 40 minutes in the morning to yourself, whichever that may be, podcast, music, audio book. But yeah, it's, it's a great little morning and afternoon routine. It's been a pleasure. That kind of, um, that idyllic setting we've just been describing there, that idyllic activity reminds me or kind of brings my mind towards Call On Me, where you have the birds and at the start and you kind of craft this Eden-like <laughs> soundscape yeah. to bring us into it. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> how did that form what was your kind of intentions did the soundscape come before anything else from memory i believe i think it might have been thorn that uh that pulled the the sort of organic garden of eden sound that you, you're speaking of um we i think start samples, with the intro though did we that was no no the intro came did come later but um organic samples have kind of been Again, like a, a bit of a theme throughout our previous uh, albums and songs. 
not in every song, but there's there's always usually one or two that will that will consist of like these sort of either burrs or flies or washing machines or cactuses or and all sorts of strange things. What does a been... cactus sound like? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get if you get like a metal uh, yeah, it sort of how you shovel thing <laughs> and you and you flick the hard spine of the cactus, it makes a bit of a. Doom, yeah, doom it gives you a tone. Sound. Or if you get yeah. like a rake and scrape it, it makes like a metallic sound. Yeah, it just depends how you play it. And you can get a washing machine, and it gives you this sort of a natural sort of almost like a spaceship lifting off. If, or if you reverse it as well, it kind of does this this really strange thing, which is really satisfying as well. Uh, and then if you get a fly and you sort of pitch it down, it becomes a bit of like a bassy drone. I think we've had cat purring and stuff. <laughs> but I think it was just another one of those things. I think the reason why we ended up in this Garden of Eden birds sort of outdoor sounds is because we started with, I think it was the chorus. might have been the very simple sort of keys, bass line and drums, I think maybe even the start. And it was very electronic and very repetitive and it just, nearly everything was electronic. It was all synthesizers. There was no like organic sounds in it. Uh, and Thorne was like, it's sounding too uh, clinical. It's like sounding too electronic that we need some sort of organic sound into it. So he went on this this deep dive of, of samples and sort of dug this these sounds up and kind of blended in there and actually worked really nice and kind of brought it a little bit out of that electronic realm where it sounds a bit too clean, a little bit too perfect. And that's, yeah, I guess that's where the inspo came for it. Yeah, just give some life back into that space. Yeah, yeah. We, we always try to like sort of balance it out, either if it's like a live guitar or piano or drums, is to try to bring something organic, some organic sounds into there to kind of detach it from just the electronic uh, production sounds. Is that balance on a song by song level or with the record as a whole? I would say it's almost, it's, it is song by song, but I think most of the time we try to at least bring some sort of organic uh, element into it. I mean, besides the vocal, besides the singing, we normally try to bring some sort of, uh, whether it's a sample or an instrument to sort of try to m- mix it up in a sense, I guess. But it's definitely normally on a song-by-song basis, I would say. Yeah, I think generally we just... Each song, you want to make sure that it's got like a a full range of the spectrum. You want to have high moments, low moments. You want some sounds that are a bit more uh, electronic and then a bit more organic. We try to just like balance it out, but keep um, contrast. Because, I don't know... Having a bit of an ADHD mind, um, I tend to lose my attention pretty quickly on like songs that I listen to. And so when working on songs for like a hundred hours, by the time you've heard it that many times, you kind of hate it unless you keep adding little things that are going to like catch your interest again. So pretty much by the time that it's done, I don't know, often people are overwhelmed the first couple of times that they listen to some of our songs. That's what I've heard. Um, I think we're getting better at making stuff more digestible over over the time. But yeah, often you end up just like feeling every little bit, thinking about every second intricately um, so that you don't get sick of it while you're working on it. Because when you hear something just like on a loop, you kind of go a bit insane. 
um, and that results in kind of yeah balancing out uh, balancing it out and like layering it up with these different textures and sounds um, it's pretty much just to make the process bearable it's interesting that you used the expression you know overwhelmed and that's the feeling that people get from it because you would think with something like you know to come back to when I learn for example although there's a complexity about the soundscape the fact that you have that pretty simple lyrical idea at the heart of it you would almost think that would balance out and allow it to be more digestible yeah i think that's what we've learned on this record that maybe sets this record apart from our previous works is being able to uh, make them more accessible making more of the tracks more accessible so yeah. keep them intricate and interesting for ourselves and for our listeners that do like the intricate songs but also make it accessible and digestible for for everyone else yeah making um, the songs themselves like very defined and um i guess like really focusing in on the simplicity from a songwriting perspective like writing something that has some level of structure um, and something that you can kind of listen to and by the end of the song there's like elements that are that can sit in your head um, but then still having those like production elements um, that take it on a journey and keep it like not too bland um, it's a fine line between something being uh, catchy and being boring and the same thing the other way like it's a fine line between something being beautifully complex and being overwhelming so you 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 got to dance that dance um and it takes kind of months of trying things and going away and then coming back and then seeing how something makes you feel in a different setting and a different mood and sometimes you overdo it and then you have to like calm it back down and strip it back so yeah just takes time i guess when you first started writing songs which did you find you were more drawn to the complex side of music or the simplistic side of it well i guess if you think like right back to the beginning uh, right back to the beginning we when, when we were like 13 or like i think 15, it was like 16. simple it started off like relatively simple and then we studied music well, for like we, we two years. Well, we started with like indie rock music, like the Coops yeah. and the Arctic Monkeys and like... So it was pretty like four chords, like drum, bass, guitars. So it was relatively simple. And then we studied, we studied for two years and then we kind of went down a rabbit hole of overcomplicating literally every idea and everything that we created no one ever wanted to listen <laughs> no one it was wanted. just <laughs> it was it was musicians music it wasn't um what do they call it it's called a uni, uni <laughs> math, rock. math rock that's the one yes, was, we were going down rock. that road which is amazing i can i still absolutely respect that and love it but it's excruciating being the ones that are writing it because you think you're doing some epic thing and then and, no Well, you probably are, but no one gives a shit. So I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think over time we learned that um, there's beauty in simplicity um, and that that tends to be from like, if you're writing music, like there's one side to argue, which is like you should do it for yourself and not creatively compromised because who gives a fuck what anyone else thinks sorry if we're not allowed to swear um <laughs> you're allowed to swear good um but then on the other side uh 
if you're actually making something that you're sharing with the world, then you should care what people think to some extent. Otherwise, why are you sharing it? Um, so, yeah, we, we make music that we don't share with people. And then the songs that you actually do want to share with the world, there's a certain give and take. Um, you can also benefit a lot from showing different people who you trust some people who know nothing about music will give you more insight into the way your song is perceived than the like the head A&R at some record label who knows what a hit record is um, maybe gets caught up and forgets what um, something something that could be really like simply recognized by someone who knows nothing like oh your voice sounds a bit weird in that part when you're like thinking about 10 other things that you're trying to get right in the song and it'll be like, oh yeah, the way you said that word sounds weird or whatever. Like it could be the simplest things and you kind of forget as you're so deep in the process, you forget how like actually someone listening to your song for the first time who has no understanding of music but is just listening and feeling those tiny like nuances in the music can have the biggest impact on how somebody feels when they're listening. So it's really important to get feedback from people around you, both who have experience and people who don't, because you're going to, you need that full spectrum of like perspective to actually get your own head around what you're making. <laughs> Again, I imagine too, that would contribute to making it something that feels balanced. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess that's where we ended up in the end. So we simple went overcomplicated, overcomplicating our whole music writing, recording process, and then scaled back to sort of, I guess, a happy medium where we still like to take th like the songs and the tracks as far as we can, but learning to be able to stop and be happy with like what we've created and not feel like we need to keep digging for some sort of gem or something that isn't included in the song and sometimes be happy with a with a simple song and not to like overcrowd it and overcomplicate it and also just learning to accept that like a song is is a song like sometimes you go in with like this idea that you want something to be a certain way and then in the process you end up making something different and that can be an excruciating thing if you're like stuck in the idea of what you wanted it to be originally. Mm. And then other people don't understand where you're trying to take it and you can get caught up in that. But if you can learn to accept to like to float with the tide and not swim against it, then creatively you end up with a lot more energy. Um, I think it's there's nothing worse than like being romantically tied to something being a certain way and uncompromising because then um, you're blind to other people's um, valuable feedback. If you're, if you're obsessed with, oh no, I'm right and this is the way it's got to be, um, then you actually miss out on um, valuable insight. The idea of the fictional characters in Colin Me, was that an idea you had from the offset or was that something that came from floating with the tide? Well, to be honest, Jai was the one who wrote uh, the lyrics for Call On Me. He's not with us today, but I know that, um, yeah, the flowing with the tide thing um, has been, like there's a, there's a other songs um, on the record that even have that uh, lyric in them. 
Um, but yeah, the, the flowing with the tide theme, I guess, is that same concept as like acceptance, like a force majeure. It's like, don't try to wrestle with the universe because <laughs> it's, it's a lot stronger than you. <laughs> yeah, I'll always win. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. At what point in the process does the title of a force majeure attach itself? Because it feels like something that is now, we've kind of discovered it's both emblematic of what was directly happening in front of you in the world, but also kind of revelations that you'd had creatively. To be honest, I think we actually started talking about album names probably like three months into the studio process. Yeah, so, like mid, mid last been, year. Yeah. So well, I guess it was midway through like the creation of the album. We were like tossing up names and then that one just came up um, and everyone was like, oh yeah, that's actually cool. Like, let's just go with that for now. And then it just stuck. And then we started like developing the visual elements out of that. And also the, I guess that theme kind of just stuck. And we were like, well, it kind of sounds cool. And it's got quite a, like a good message. So maybe we should just kind of draw influence from that concept and try and really like expand on that concept um, lyrically, energetically, musically, artistically so yeah i think it was kind of midway through the the pandemic when we decided to call it that so um it was definitely an intention um in the in the past the name's been kind of like the last thing that we come up with um and it's like the you're kind of tossing up until like the last possible minute when you have to decide um but this time around it was actually a lot more intentional it was like a part of the actual creative process was like inspired by that theme so yeah did it give you a through line to hold on to i guess in a way it didn't necessarily dictate like uh i guess the creative vision for each track or like even even the artwork i guess is it i guess it just gave us like sort of a in a way it did give us like a chain or a link between the meanings of the different songs even though some of the songs may have started prior to last year it definitely encased the whole vision of the tracks and maybe gave a deeper meaning and deeper sort of message to each of the tracks. I guess it gave us something to hold on to, but it, it wasn't like at the forefront of our mind. It was more like a subliminal layer to the process. Mm. And that's the thing with creativity. It's like, uh, I, I feel like it's like 20% conscious and 80% unconscious. You can wake up and have an idea all of a sudden or you're walking along and you pull out your phone and record a a lyric that comes to your mind or you're in the shower and you come up with a melody. These things are like different pieces to this giant puzzle that come to you mostly in unconscious moments. It's not actually when you're thinking that you create. I think often you create when you're not thinking, or at least I do. Um, And so, yeah, often if I'm in the studio... Yeah, it can help to like just kind of sit down, like hit record and literally just like sing and play and whatever just like flows through unconsciously. Um, Maybe at first you don't, you're not even like thinking words, you're just making sounds and then you listen back and you're like, oh, I actually just said something. And then you refine that and... There have been times um, on previous records and even on this record where 
literally like a, a whole verse or a whole section lyric and melody just like comes out in one go and then you're just like oh okay um so that kind of plays into that that conscious and unconscious um mind i think that like both play a very important role in the creative process and so it's not always in the forefront of your mind the like the creative direction that you're taking sometimes you just find that flow state and um i find that that often ends up like surprising you later on when you come back to it and you realize that everything is somehow linked up in this this kind of grand puzzle and you realize later on that you did more thinking than you were aware of what parts of the creative process feel most tied to conscious thought then i would say maybe that's when you editing yeah when you come back in and you're either producing or editing the tracks so the ones that were started like a year ago or two years ago uh, maybe just chord progressions or chord progressions and verse or chorus and then they get brought in and worked on and sort of re rearranged rewritten it's when you're producing pretty mixed, much produced i think that's when you go in with a bit more of like an editing cap on with a bit more of like a structured conscious sort of this is what is going on um, you'd, you'd be very like more sober-minded, more like clinical, more yeah. like scientific. You, you or step something. away from the sort of just emotional openness. You still have the creativity in there, but there's definitely a lot more structure around it. Um, especially as you're getting towards the end of uh, of writing. Especially with us, we do all the mixing, uh, mastering, and all that sort of stuff in house. And, um, and also self-produce. So th- those processes sometimes overlap, but often there's like, yeah, the, the more conscious part of the creative process is when you're like making decisions on, or oh, how long is this section going to be? Or is this the right lyric? Or is that going to make someone feel a certain way? Or is the drums too loud? Like you're being very critical and aware of every decision that you're mm-hmm. making. Um, whereas in those early kind of free-flowing stages, the more like subconscious, unconscious creation is like a lot more, I guess, difficult to access in a way. You kind of have to feel something and like you have to be able to, that's where inspiration is happening. And I think the conscious part is, I wouldn't say it's less inspired, but it's it's something that's more like methodolic, method. Method, methodic, <laughs> methodic, mm. methodolic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so normally if we're in like a creative state, normally we won't focus too much on like the mix or the sound of stuff. Obviously we'll make things sound nice, but we usually wait for that crunch time uh, after we've gone through all the creativity and we'll go start working through each of the tracks individually, one after the other, to try to balance mixes and try to make them sound like they're on the record. And that's definitely when you become more clinical and less sort of sporadic. You start to have a bit of a system that you have to work through. And you're almost like coming up against your all the bad decisions that you made in the creative process. Yeah, you can be a bit of a butcher at that point as well. That but, can be sometimes where things that you've been holding on to the whole the whole creative process because you feel so emotionally attached to it and then you get to that stage with your editing hat on you go actually no this 
this section's actually letting down the whole song and it can just be literally chopped out or an instrument or maybe a certain sound or a certain production style. Or it'll be like the thing that like someone might start an idea with a certain instrument and certain yeah. part. And it's just stayed in there the entire time because it was the first one, but it's actually <laughs> so random. And then you realize as soon as you take it away that the song's ready and you're like, oh, yeah. but <laughs> how it's are hard we going to break it? To the- <laughs> but it's hard to be in that state of mind when you're in the creative because you're, you're so much more emotionally attached to it. It's only once you kind of step away into the editing mode that you can kind of look at it in a more of an objective light and see it as a whole piece instead of it as individual pieces that are all coming together you kind of just see it as one piece of art um and then you kind of appreciate it all for what it is instead of just appreciating it for certain parts of the track that idea of you know cutting out a piece that you've been holding on to for a lot of the process i've heard people talk about it like in uh when in the film world in a script writing sense that you should be able to take out the best scene in the movie and the script should still be a good script. Is that a similar thing? Is it if you can take out that element that you feel is really important, the song should still be able to function on a decent level? Yeah. I mean, every, every action that you, or like decision you make does have consequences. So I guess it's a case by case basis. Um, sometimes you'll remove something or like even a certain section and then the next section doesn't flow as well because it needed that last section to have context or whatever. But I think it still makes it a good song. Like I think yeah. that's what we tried to do on this album was focus on the songwriting, on the chord progressions, on the melodies, on the arrangement. So that even if we strip it down to like its core elements, it still is a good song. It doesn't rely on a certain reverb or a certain like reverse symbol or some sort of fill or whatever. It's it's really at its core. You could yeah, like you're saying, you could take out a certain instrument, like the main piano, but it's still going to be held together by like the guitar or the bass or the the vocal melody or the the drums or whichever like. Um, it doesn't rely, all of them don't rely on just one to, to make it a great song. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.